Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Sidebar presented by True Crime Daily, taking you inside the courtrooms of high profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at JoshuaRitter.com. We are recording this on Friday, December 1st. It's already December 2023. In this week's episode, a surprising move by an Idaho judge to allow live streaming cameras in the courtroom of Chad Daybell in direct contrast to the trial of his wife, doomsday mom, Lori Vallow. Also, disgraced lawyer and convicted murderer Alex Murdoch faced the many victims of his financial crimes as the former legal dynasty patriarch is sentenced after accepting a plea deal. But first, the racketeering case surrounding the record label and alleged criminal organization operated by rapper Young Thug. Today, we're very happy to be joined by Tracy Walder, a national security expert, News Nation contributor, and author of the phenomenal memoir, The Unexpected Spy. Tracy spent years working as a covert operative in the CIA's Counterterrorism Center. Tracy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh, absolutely. I've been looking forward to it um, because I First of all, watch you on on News Nation. I always appreciate your insights, but I also appreciate uh, you coming from a background primarily in law enforcement. Um, you know, so many times on this show, we have people who are are lawyers, criminal defense prosecutors, but I, I appreciate the law enforcement uh, aspect and experience, wealth of experience that you bring to this. So I know you've been following uh, these cases closely as part of the work that you do. So let's just jump right in. Uh, first out of Atlanta, Georgia, the RICO trial for Grammy Award winning rapper Young Thug is underway as the musician faces allegations related to co-founding of an alleged criminal gang. Young Thug, born Jeffrey Williams, was indicted along with over two dozen co-defendants, all associates of Williams record label and collective called YSL. While Williams has maintained that YSL is an acronym for Young Stoner Life, Prosecutors allege the moniker is tied to Young Slime Life, a Bloods-affiliated street gang in Atlanta. Though different defendants in the case faced uh, varied charges, including murder, Williams has been directly charged with gun, drug, and gang crimes, along with violating Georgia's anti-racketeering law. 
Controversially, a focus of the trial will be the lyrics and music of Williams, which prosecutors will be allowed to use as evidence against the rapper at trial. However, the state maintains that this is not a trial about violent lyrics, but about the criminal enterprises which were endorsed and orchestrated under the guise of the label. The trial, which took nearly 10 months to seat a jury, which is just staggering to me, is expected to last months with potentially hundreds of witnesses. All right, Tracy, jump right in. First of all, my question to you is, how how does this sit with you? This is, this is not... Um, this is new. This is not something that's done every day where they take a so-called, you know, what's been described as a hip hop collective being prosecuted essentially as a criminal street gang. Do you think this is the prosecution reaching too far or is this a bold and necessary step in the right direction? Well, I think this is interesting because part of how I sort of look at this case a little bit is when we look at Suge Knight and some of the things that he's currently um, incarcerated for, to include murder, um, at times he was also running a criminal syndicate really under the guise of his music record label, right? And so it's not that this is unprecedented. So, you know, we've seen this before, but to me, the thing that's the most unprecedented, and uh, I don't use the words always and never is I have not personally seen a case where they're explicitly using lyrics, um, you know, against them. And it's lyrics not to necessarily prove some kind of hit or, you know, assassination of someone. It's lyrics to to really prove those Rico or racketeering charges, which I I find fascinating. Yeah. And I want to get into that Rico aspect of it and get your thoughts on that. But the lyrics thing is the part that a lot of people have been pointing to. In, in Los Angeles, for a long time, they had a, um, I don't know if it was a written rule or an unwritten rule, but there was basically an understanding that you don't use these lyrics in a prosecution for a gang crime. And it wasn't so much um, the idea that that can't be useful or that the lyrics themselves can't be informative to a jury, but it was this idea that you're really pushing the boundaries of somebody's First Amendment rights, too, because lyrics are you know this is a performance this is somebody putting on a persona especially when you're talking about a a genre like rap they're going to be talking about committing crimes and other things in a glorified way because it's part of the art do you think that's the trouble they might run into here with the jury I do. And I think hopefully it's okay to say something a little controversial. Um, but Please. <laughs> um, so I was an FBI agent, you know, also in LA as well. And these things would come up because there was a lot of gang activity um, in the area. But the interesting thing was, is it never occurred to us. And we were really never allowed to build cases based on lyrics, right? Some of them were definitely suggestive and shady, and it would be wonderful if we could. But to me, that's an indicator that the case might be a little bit weak. Uh, Because, Mm. you know, if you're looking, and that might be a controversial thing to say, but if that's what you're using, something that in my opinion is up to so much doubt, right, and so much of the defense then coming in um, and, and sort of rebutting that, in a racketeering case, really a lot of the evidence you have shouldn't be questionable like this. Um, Racketeering cases, 
I don't want to say are slam dunks because that's that's not the right thing to say either. But typically those aren't built off of kind of what ifs and interpretations yeah. um, off of of music. And so I, that maybe tells me that this might be a weak case. But, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just using my own hypothesis here. No, I agree with you. Certainly, too, if that is a big part of their case. But if it's part of this kind of tapestry that they're building, trying to show that this I I mean, because it is a novel argument and I think it's not an easy argument that they're trying to make. And they're trying to convince jurors that, yes, they did operate as a as a hip hop collective, whatever you want to call them. They were a group that produced albums, Grammy Award winning albums. But were they also operating in many of the same ways that a street gang operates? Did they have a common sign um, or color? Did they have a common sign or symbol? Did they you know, share common colors? Did they use the same acronyms? Did they have a language, especially when it's connected to something like Bloods Gangs? You know this from operating in, in Los Angeles. That's a huge gang that operates out here. And they have a very distinct um, language that they use, really. So if that's built into the the way that the YSL whatever you want to call that a hip hop collective or a gang operated i can understand them wanting to prove that to a jury and including if that language was built into the lyrics but i agree with you there's a lot of um opportunity for for a uh, uh defense uh tomfoolery if they're relying too much on the lyrics correct well and i also think too this sounds technical. I don't mean it to you. There's other ways to collect that information, if you will. I have sat on so many wiretaps um, of, you know, MS-13 members who were ordering hits from jail, uh, Bloods, Crips, you name it. And they do talk in code. And it's much easier to submit that as evidence. And it's a little more, it's difficult to poke holes in that when you have it obtained through digital methods, you know, voice call methods, whatever, then a song lyric, which in my opinion, someone could come to that and easily explain it away. And so, yes, they absolutely have their own language. It's very much like terrorist networks have their own language, right? They'll just pick up the phone and say, I'm going to attack on this day. It doesn't work like that. But I think that there's better, more rock solid ways um, to collect that information, whether you have to you know, sit on them in surveillance, whether you have digital methods, those kinds of things. I'm just surprised. And uh, maybe they have other ways that they obtained it that we just don't, you know, know about yet. And that's fine. Um, but I'm hoping that it's not kind of all hinging on lyrics. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You referenced this a couple of times now, so I want to get your opinion. The idea that they're using Rico here, um, again, do you think that's a useful uh, uh, employment of that tool or are you kind of surprised that they're using it, a, a racketeering case in this sense? I'm not surprised that they're using it in this sense, if that makes any sense. Now, if you're just going after a gang, I typically don't see Rico charges in there. I usually will see that, you know, in mob stuff, but mm-hmm. this is tied to a business, right? Theoretically, it's tied to a record label. And I could be wrong. I have to look up Suge Knight, but I thought that he was also um, wrapped up once um, on something like this. I, I could be wrong, but I-, I think Rico makes sense if it's operating on under the auspices of a business. Um, but if it was just, street gangs, those kinds of things. No, we typically don't use it there. But again, we don't usually see uh, trials regarding, you know, criminal gang syndicates, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is this is Georgia where they have this RICO law that's on their state books and they uh, they tend to use it fairly liberally down there. We know that they've applied it in some other cases that have been making the news uh, recently as well. So we'll see how this turns out. I think it's an interesting case from a prosecutorial and just kind of, you know, legal banter uh, a perspective because you 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 don't see this and it is a novel theory and perhaps you, if this is successful you might see it more often popping yeah. up around the country especially in places like Los Angeles where cr- uh, street gangs are such a huge problem. Well, you're right because we really don't see this charge popping up you know all over the U.S. and so I'm wondering if it will set some kind of a precedent right for folks in L.A. because we didn't use it a lot um, in going after street gangs in L.A. We just didn't. No, no, I, I don't. I had never seen it used. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the lyrics aspect, too, if that ends up being a successful tool that they use Be in this case, it might change things, how they op- operate in gang prosecutions uh, throughout the country. So we'll keep a close eye on it. It's an interesting case. And it sounds like it's going to go on for a very long yes. time. If they took months <laughs> to pick a jury, um, hundreds of witnesses. Yeah, we're going to be talking about this one for a while. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Let's go to Walterboro, South Carolina, where a courtroom full of victims impacted by financial crimes committed by Alex Murdoch faced the disgraced lawyer and convicted murderer in an emotional sentencing hearing last week. Murdoch, who previously accepted a plea deal on 22 of 100 charges, was sentenced to 27 years per the plea 
much to the dismay of victims and their family members. In a scheme lasting over 10 years, Murdoch embezzled more than $12 million from his vulnerable clients, many of whom were victims of grave or fatal injuries. Murdoch will be required to serve at least 23 years of the sentence under South Carolina law, which could be a uh, contingency plan if the former lawyer's murder conviction um, is overturned amid allegations of jury tampering. When asked to acknowledge the sentence, Murdoch briefly chuckled at the notion that he could eventually be paroled on the financial crimes if he behaves, quote unquote, before reiterating his apology to his victims. Um, many uh, viewed the the financial case against Murdoch uh, when, when charges all first came out. I'm saying when the story first broke uh, and we knew that he had been implicated now in the murder of his wife and child and that there were also these financial crimes. It was kind of like the financial crimes were the tail wagging the dog when it came to the murder charges. Now we know there's a lot of problems with those murder charges. I, I am in the camp that believes that there are significant problems with the, with that verdict holding up and that they may be retrying that. Do you think that think that this, plea carries some extra significance now as insurance for the government. So I, and it, you know, being former law enforcement, you would think I would disagree with you on that, but I was on News Nation multiple times talking about the fact that I felt with the murder, murder conviction, even before they announced mm -hmm. that he was convicted and returned the verdict, I wasn't sure. There were a lot of issues with the collection of evidence with SLED and I, I mean, obviously other issues as well. And I agree that this could potentially, you know, be retried. Obviously, you never want to come at a charge with being, you know, this is an insurance policy if this other yeah. one doesn't stick. I don't think that that was the intent. Um, and I think when he chuckled, um, what is he, 55 or 58? I can't, I can't recall his age. Yeah, late um, 50s. I think he was chuckling because when they said, you know, you could be paroled, if he has to serve a minimum of 23 years, he's not mo most likely going to survive um, right. that. And I think that's where that chuckle, although I think it was misperceived, um, probably came from. But yeah, I think these financial crimes, the fact that he took a deal, those are airtight. I mean, he wouldn't have pl pled um, if it wasn't airtight, in my opinion. So yes, this is offering a nice parachute, um, yeah. I guess, should those murder charges be retried or ultimately overturned. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It, it, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but follow me for a second on this. It's funny to me, because if you're convicted of murder, and you believe that you're not going anywhere for the rest of your life. What do you care about going to trial on financial crimes? There, there, there's a theory that you would think to yourself, let's go to trial. Let's give it a shot. I don't care. I've got nothing else to do. I'm sitting here in prison for the rest of my life. Maybe I get lucky and maybe I win some of this. There's also a theory of, hey, I'm sitting here for the rest of my life. I don't want to go to trial on this nonsense and have them double up time on me. And so I'll go ahead and accept a plea. But all of that kind of changes a little bit with this idea that he has a very real shot at a retrial. And it was funny to me that his attorneys went ahead and accepted this plea, which essentially does, like you said, put him in prison for the rest of his life. Do you think I don't you do you follow where I'm going? I don't even know I if do. I have a point myself. Do Was there a strategy behind accepting this plea? I definitely follow where you're going. 
But in my opinion, um, at least, you know, the white collar folks at the FBI, I can't speak for, you know, with the California state government, white collar cases take a long time to build, but they're almost always meticulously built in, yes. in my opinion. Um, and they're, almost always folks are convicted. Um, I've always said that if the government has you on a white collar type of crime, you might as well just plead (laughs) or take a plea. And so I think he was looking at the difference here between 30 years to potentially going to trial and having 100 plus years based on how many uh, counts he was found guilty on. And so I think that that was their strategy. I personally feel that his defense probably knew that they had him and had him real good um, on those financial crimes. That, And I think that's why the murder, um, you know, ultimately went to trial, because in my opinion, there, there are holes in that case. And so I don't know if they had a strategy other than trying to get the least amount of a sentence as possible. Yeah. I agree with you certainly about the white collar cases are usually locked up. They're 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 very dry. They're they're very meticulous. They're not the most exciting thing to watch, but it's not like you're dealing with a bunch of people trying to make eyewitness identifications right. and reconstruct what took place. It's a it's a matter of documents showing that money went from position A to position B, and it should not have done that. And exactly. if, as long as you can show that through the paperwork. Uh, they're pretty rock solid. So maybe you're right. Maybe they thought, listen, this is a good plea deal for you regardless. We'll try to deal with the murder case, but you got to take this in in any case because you're looking at a tremendous amount of time if you don't accept this deal. Could be right. It's a, it, it's not a horrible deal for him, even though I agree that the chances of him ever seeing the light of day again are very slim. Um. Anyhow, we'll... Continue to watch that case because I agree with you. Um, and I do agree with you too that even without this juror misconduct issue, there was some stuff that took place mm-hmm. in that trial that I thought he had, I thought we were going to hear be hearing about an appeal regardless. Completely agree. Um, with you. and so yeah, I I un, un, depending on how you look at it, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't think that's the end of him for us for, for a while. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, and I don't even look at the jury misconduct as, I mean, yes, it's a big deal, but I think that there's other issues as well. I don't think there's just that issue. No, that, that case was, um, and it's not even so much the, the, the strength of the evidence as much as the way that the case was put on. And I don't want to get us too much of on on a tangent, but I, but I agree with you that there, there was significant appealable issues that I think in addition to this jury issue, we might be seeing at a later day. So we'll see, you know, more to come folks. Let's finally turn to uh, Fremont County, Idaho, where an Idaho judge has ruled in favor of live streaming the trial proceedings of Chad Daybell, the self-proclaimed prophet and husband of doomsday mom, Lori Vallow. Daybell's defense initially filed a motion to include cameras, citing Daybell's family in Utah, who would not be able to see the trial without incurring financial hardship, as well as the need for open proceedings to maintain transparency. Prosecutors objected to the motion, arguing that cameras in the courtroom could unfairly prejudice jurors and create a circus-like atmosphere amid the proceedings. The judge ultimately ruled in favor of Daybell's defense. However, live streaming will be limited to courtroom-provided equipment and no other cameras will be allowed throughout the duration of the trial. This is a complete 
180 from the coverage of Lori Vallow's trial in which cameras were banned and audio of the proceedings were released on a delayed schedule. Several other motions filed by Dave Bell's defense, including a change of venue request, as well as a motion to remove the possibility of the death penalty, will be ruled on at a later date before Dave Bell faces trial. All right. Tracy, for a moment, just put aside the strategy of why each side was asking for what they were asking for. I'm just curious, do you agree that judges should generally embrace more cameras in court, or is this turning what are sometimes very serious proceedings into more of a spectator sport? What are your just thoughts on that generally? So again, I think people are going to be mad at me. <laughs> this is my views <laughs> controversial. Um I actually like the idea of a singular camera or a singular feed in the courtroom. In my opinion, um, it does keep the open court and transparency that we are all entitled to, quite frankly. Um, I have to be honest with you. I disagreed with the fact that uh, Lori Vallow, excuse me, um, did not, whether it was just the audio um, that was streaming. Now, when I think it becomes a circus is when we have every news group under the sun um, with their cameras there. I actually really think the idea of a singular camera trained in a singular direction, um, I think is very effective and a great way to maintain transparency. And this is really the same ruling that Judge Judge made um, in the Koberger case, I think recently as well. It's a singular camera. So it sounds like Idaho is trying to maybe streamline some things, but the Lori Vallow case surprised me. I mean, one, no cameras, and two, you know, taking the death penalty off the table. So that whole... <laughs> case was interesting, but my stance on cameras is I, I really like the idea of a singular feed and then the networks being able to pick up that feed um, as they wish at a different location. Yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm uh, not torn, but <laughs> I, I, I struggle with this a little bit because I, I agree that we have a transparent system. It's one of the things that makes this country great with our judicial system is the it is open. It's open for everybody to see how the sausage is just made. And I think that's important. And I think that we should allow the public. We're now in a day and age where there's no denying the medium of choice is video. And so that that should be allowed in. But I also believe that there is a strong argument that it does change the dynamic of things mm -hmm. and the way people people behave and the way that they act. I know this from personal experience. I've worked on a few cases where cameras were involved and some of them were high profile cases that you expected them to be. And I had one case that I had no idea anyone had any interest in it. And there was a camera in courtroom every day and it absolutely changed the dynamic of things. And so I do understand why the prosecution, they want to maintain that, that case. They don't want any problems, any difficulties. The defense... I think just kind of wants trouble more than anything, maybe a little bit of stirring things up. What do you think? I get what you're saying and I get where the prosecution is coming from too, because I think the biggest issue that they're probably fighting against is, is juries, right? Um, and it's sort of, tainting them. What are they watching when they're going home at night, even though they're being told not to, right? Who's sending them things? And so, yeah, if I were a prosecutor, I would want to make sure all of that was buttoned up. I don't want a mistrial. I don't want an appeal. I don't want anything like that. And so I 
I definitely get where they're coming from. And I, I like the idea of the defense uh, trying to cause trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they are coming at it as a, you know, we should be transparent to the world. They have right. their ulterior motives as well, right? In terms yeah. of humanizing their client, all, all of those things. Yeah, and, um, and, and not to interrupt you, but their argument that his family would have difficulty. Yes, well, I don't buy no, that at all. I don't buy they that just at want all. The cameras in court. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. They don't. I do not buy that argument in any way, shape, or form because right. uh, there's other ways that their, you know, his family could get access, and that it was a financial hardship. So, right. no, I think that argument is 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 silly. Yeah, I, I no, I I think that they. As much as it's going to create headache for the prosecution, they're probably thinking that any headache for the prosecution is a benefit to us in some way. Um, and I, I do see your point that, yeah, listen, especially when you're talking about, you know, this is national news to us and neither one of us live anywhere near Idaho. But can you imagine the way that it takes over Idaho and the local communities there it's not, you know, it's being covered in their local news, their local paper, their everywhere you look, this this trial is going to pop up somewhere and it's going to be hard for those jurors to avoid all of that. Um, no matter how many instructions they receive from the judge, and especially if it's all being videotaped. Um, what about the idea that in her trial, a lot of people um Notice the fact that the defense seemed to steer clear of any pointing of the fingers at Chad Daybell, at her husband, which seemed like an obvious built in defense for her. And there's a lot of speculation that she was, you know, the one who was steering the ship as far as how that defense proceeded. Do you think that we'll see the same thing? And I know this is just asking you to speculate wildly, but do you think that his defense team is going to put up that same honorable uh, way of ignoring her? Or are they going to throw her under the bus completely? She's already been convicted of this, by the way. That is a really good and really hard question. <laughs> good, <laughs> um, good. That's, that's my job. Seriously, that is a great question. Um, I think because she's already been convicted. Um, I mean, remember Chad hadn't been convicted, right? Um, right. And she had gone on trial. Um, they may throw her under the bus because truly, you know, she has nothing to lose. She already has her sentence. She's already been convicted. Door's been slammed behind her. So yeah, I think this could be um, part of their defense. I don't, I don't see any loss for them um, in terms of using that as their defense, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either, but I'm going to go one step even farther with the with the uh, naked speculation on all of this and say that I think she has so uh, um, uh, baptized herself in this belief and the way that she um, both conducted herself during the trial, the comments that she made during sentencing. Mm hmm. I would not be shocked. She's still available as a witness to the defense, by the way, in his case. I would not be shocked oh. if they call her, if he wow. calls her to the stand in custody and says, I did this. Uh, he didn't do any of this. These ch I freed these children. Uh, they you know, were evil spirits and whatever other nonsense she wants to say. But why? Why wouldn't she? She's already convicted. I, I, 
I, I'm saying that and I could be completely wrong, but I no. would not be I would not be, it, you know, this is a crazy enough case that it's the type of case where you might expect to see it. I could absolutely see that. And you know what? I, a lot of people don't make a lot of talk about her um, sentencing comments. And I thought yeah. those were the most wild, quite frankly, yeah. out of a lot of the things that she has said and done. And so you're right. I that's I have not thought about that point of view. And I especially think if the death penalty is not taken off the table in in his case, which I, I don't know what's going to happen, um, I think they'll be more inclined um, to throw her under the bus and then, I guess, potentially use her as a witness. But she's pretty unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. If he's facing the death penalty, it's kind of like no no holds barred at that mm-hmm. point. They would, mm-hmm. why, why not give it a shot at that point? Interesting. All right. Well, another case we're going to keep close watch on. Uh, this has been fantastic. This is our show for this week. Tracy, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find out more about you? Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you can go to my Instagram at the unexpected spy or my TikTok at the une- unexpected spy or Twitter at Tracy underscore Walder. Fantastic. And make sure to check out the book. I'm your host, Josh Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ. You can find our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD sidebar. And thank you for joining us at the True Crime Daily Sidebar.